time of worship. They've done such a good job. Let's give them another hand. Thank you so much. I, uh, I am thankful for our Golden Bell crew, and you can be seated. Um, yeah, worship this morning uh, was just beautiful. I feel like I've already been just in the presence of the Lord, and that's a good thing. And today, though our service is a little different with the Golden Bell uh, being here as well. Man, uh, what an amazing presence that God has given to us. I was talking with these young men before we uh, were coming into worship today. And, and uh, oh, they, one is from Brazil, <laughs> one's from Texas, uh, another Idaho. Um, what an amazing thing that God could bring us all together here to do something special just for us right now today. And if our God can do that, I believe that this morning that he can do something amazing and special and surprise us in ways that we weren't expecting to be surprised through the rest of this service. Amen? Amen. Well, today we, I have the privilege, I'm going to pull this back a little bit, of uh, doing a baby dedication. And uh, I just want to ask that um, uh, Mario and, and Violet would come forward. And uh, with Felix, I'm not sure where you're at. Are you about there? somewhere there we go very good these lights are bright come on up that would be great jack you need help thank you what a beautiful family let's give them a hand so coming forward let's come on over here yeah come on. Oh, what a good looking boy <laughs> well i just want to tell you guys number one uh, violet mario i am proud of you taking this step today. Um, in our world and in these times, it is so important that we guide our children to Jesus. And so this is very, very special. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, he says, it tells us there that at the time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to them and he had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like Felix, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like him in my name welcomes me. 
I have some gifts for you today as we do this dedication. And the first is the red rose. And I want to give that to you, Mario, today. I want to give that to you to remember this day. It is symbolic of the blood that Christ Jesus shed for you and for me. It's the blood that you will use to protect and defend the home in which your son is being raised. May it be a home built firmly upon the ideals of Christ Jesus, and may nothing ever enter that home that would destroy the faith and the confidence and the love of God without which none of us can endure. Let nothing enter your home that will injure the soul of your child or crowd out the Lord Jesus, who said these words to us. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Your charge, Mario, protect the soul of this child. I have a white rose for you, Violet. It symbolizes the purity and the purpose and effort with which you make the home that Felix will grow up in. If your child grows up to know Christ as his Savior, it will be in part because you nurtured him and because you shared the heart of Jesus with him. It will be from your eyes that comes the idea that God is holy. It will be from the gentleness of your voice that the understanding that God is love. Love your son well for Jesus. And then, I'm going to give this one to Mario, but this is for Felix. It's the pink rose. It's the blending of the white and the red. It represents his innocence and the purity of his soul in the sight of God. And my prayer for Felix is that when he reaches the age of accountability, his eyes will be opened and that he will see Jesus and see him in all his glory. Mom and Dad, I commend you again for taking this step. And I ask you to teach him early the love of the Lord, to watch over his education that he would not be led astray, to direct his mind to the Bible, to direct his feet to the church, to protect him from evil, and as much as in you lies to bring him up to have a heart like Jesus. If you will endeavor to do this, will you say, I will? Now I want to look to you, church, and I want to ask, will you commit as those who will be watching him in the nursery, possibly, uh, speaking to him in the foyer, and maybe being his teacher, maybe his mentor as he grows up, will you support and encourage these parents as they endeavor to fulfill their responsibilities for this child in Jesus' name? If so, will you say, we will? Amen. Well, I just want to... What a good-looking boy. <laughs> oh. All right, well, right now, Felix, let's pray. Lord, right now, I just want to dedicate Felix 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that your spirit will be very strong upon him. I pray, Lord, that he will grow up in your nurture and in your admonition. And I pray, God, that as he grows up, that his life will be continuing to make a difference for you, Jesus, every day. I pray, Lord, that he will stay strong in you, Lord, and I pray, God, that he will walk in your ways. And I pray, Lord, that you will use him mightily in the kingdom. May this world be changed for you, Jesus, by this young man. We pray this in your name and for your sake and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Isn't he a good-looking boy? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let me give this one gift to you, his first Bible, and here's his certificate of dedication. God bless you. Thank you very much. I love doing baby dedications, and uh, not that uh, there's other things that aren't fun and special, but I tell you what, there's something beautiful about knowing that a new child is going to be raised to love Jesus. We need more of that. Um, well, today, my computer is not working with me very well, so you're going to have to just hold on for just one second while I get this going. All right. Very good. All right. Well, before we continue... I want to just remind you that we have a time for uh, you to give your tithes and offerings. There are plates in the back. Please give there. Also, I want to remind you that we have a way through our website at wlcchurch.com that you can give as well there. But here's some of the big news that I want to share with you this morning. And I want to remind you that your giving makes things like this possible where children are raised to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, and that where we are given an opportunity to say to our kids and to those who are our teens and those who are our adults and all the ages and all the generations, right here we point them to Jesus. No other place in the world does that except for the church. And so it's our pleasure, it's our great uh, just a great privilege to be able to give. But here's some news that I want to share with you today that is so exciting to me. This week, and I don't know, is Craig Johnson out there somewhere? I don't know if he's out there today or not, but I just, I spoke with Craig this week, and he was sharing with me about his brother, and his brother's, he shared with me about his name, and he just said, here's, here's what's happening, and he said, I just want my brother to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And I, I pr prayed with him because his brother is in the hospital and his organs were shutting down and, and he wasn't having very much luck trying to get in and speak with him and share the gospel news with him once again. And I could tell he was hurting. And so I just said, number one, if there is, I mean, if there is any way God can do this, there's any way God can do this. Number, number two, I wanted him to know that I would be praying for him and that I believed that this would happen in Jesus' name and for his sake. Couldn't make any promises. I didn't know, but we just stood there in the basement of the parsonage and we just prayed and we prayed over Roger and we prayed over this situation. And Lord, give Craig an opportunity. I checked with... Uh, Robin yesterday, and, 
And uh, Craig said it was okay for me to share this with you, but he was able to get into the hospital. He was able to go to his brother, and she said to me, she said, he could feel the presence of God in that room. And he went to him, and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and asked him to accept him as his Savior. And right then and there, with his brother, his brother asked Jesus to come into his heart. That is, a, that is what... That's what we're about. That's a win. That's a celebration. I want, I mean, there's nothing more that I would want than every weekend, every Sunday, we celebrate another one who is with us going to heaven, but not only going to heaven, but living in the fullness of who Jesus is here today. Here's an exciting thing as well. Now he's in a, he was in intensive care, I believe, and now he's in a regular room. He's actually feeling better physically what? I mean, it's, and who knows, but God is at work. When I got this news last night, I just couldn't hardly keep myself from just crying. I was just my, I'm tearing up. I'm, and I'm just, thank you, God. It's beginning. And here's our first, and there's going to be many more this year. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen? Today... As we, I hope I'm not forgetting anything in the process of the order of service today. If I am, you can just shout out at me. You're not going to hurt my feelings. But uh, I just want to say, as we get started in the sermon today, are you a contagious individual? I look around here, and I see all of these folks in masks, and I think to myself, you know, many times we're just kind of like, well, we, we got to keep these on, and I understand the government mandate and all of that. But as I'm looking out there, and as I was thinking about what was happening with Craig and what was happening in his family, I wanted to ask, and I wanted to ask myself, am I contagious? Am I the type of person that when I walk into the room, that something changes and people think, you know what, something is different about this individual? Am I a contagious Christian? Am I somebody who, when people see me, they see Jesus? I want to ask you, are you contagious today? As, as Craig walked into that room and the presence of God was felt, he was completely contagious. I mean, if the CDC listens to this and the Colorado Department of Health and they take sound bites, we're going to be in big trouble. But he was contagious going in there, but he was contagious for Christ. Amen? Uh, this thought came to me as I was walking around in our town. Man. Even in the midst of hearing that churches were being closed and I'm hearing churches saying, well, we're just going to shut down until 2021, at least for our services. And, and, and I hear all these different, different news, and, and I think to myself, somewhat like John Lennon once said, nobody told me there'd be days like these, strange days indeed. But I think, man, what a great time for us as a church to take the lead and become contagious for Jesus Christ in the midst of these days where times feel so hopeless, where times feel like, you know what, I don't know what the next step is going to be. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't know what new rule is going to come out to ne next week. It doesn't matter because our hope is built on something stronger than what we hear 
on the news. Amen? Spiritually speaking, I hope I am contagious. From a spiritual perspective, I hope that our church is full of contagious Christians. And I wish that we were maybe in some way trying to make sure that it's not working. So I'm going to have to ask you back there to help me with this. But if you can go on to the next slide. But I hope in some way that we were as concerned about our spiritual ability to transmit our faith as we were about our physical ability to transmit a virus. Imagine if there were tents in every city that were lined up with cars lined up, you know, tents and, 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 and imagine that in every city we were being tested for our spiritual wellness. Nonstop talking heads on the news frantic about the concern over the rate of the spiritually dead people in our world and around the world. Could you imagine what that would be like? And I know that you are already aware of this, but the church in America, we hear all the time and we're seeing it and it's, it's taking place around us, but the church in America has become kind of in this spiritual slumber. Much like the statement shared in the doctor's lounge, <laughs> I hate that feeling after surgery when you're not sure if you're awake or you're asleep or if you operated on the right patient. We are finding ourselves in a daze. Like a bomb blast concussion, we have experienced explosive change and we've awakened to a world that is post-Christian and we're struggling to get our bearings, but our spiritual compass, I want to tell you, church, our spiritual compass is still true. It's still pointing true north. Our mission has not changed. Our Messiah is still mighty to save. The power available to us is still conquerable of everything. Could it be that we are listening to the wrong voices? Could it be that we are looking for the wrong signs? Is it possible that we are following the wrong guide? Has the, our radio frequency been taken over by someone behind enemy lines? I just have to ask, I just have to wonder, because so many in our ranks have become confused. And instead of taking the lead, instead of taking the charge, we have found ourselves just trying to escape when actually we as the church should be the ones on the front line. I want to remind you today that and by the way, I don't know who was responsible for getting this Bible for me, you know, when I was installed, but thank you, um, uh, church, for that. And it, it has the larger writing, so that's a good thing. I can see it, and uh, <laughs> things are, those things are changing. But I want to remind you, whether I can see it or not, the Bible is still the good news. And this is God's love letter to the world from Genesis to Re Revelations. And you might say, well, yeah, but it's been taken out of context so many times. And it can be twisted. And I know that, I know that. People know that. But here's what I want you to hear. If we are reading it through the right frequency, if we were reading Scripture through the right lens, if you will, it will not be twisted. If you read this through any other lens than Jesus Christ, you are going to get way off track. Scripture tells us in Romans 10.4, it says there, and I like that, 10.4, because that's just an affirmative. 
you know, 10-4, good buddy. This is, you know, this is just, it's done, it's affirmative, okay. Romans 10-4, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now let me just, Christ is the culmination of the law. What it's saying that everything you're reading in Scripture, everything from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything in the New Testament points to Jesus Christ. If you get that and you understand that, you're not going to get far off track if you're reading this through the lens of who Jesus is. Christ is the culmination. In my theological studies, I, I learned early on about this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It simply states that God is made known through four avenues, and that's Scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. And it's this you know, neat thing that was put together to help us you know, process theology. And, and in our process of maturing and gaining ministry, I, 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 I agree, but I, I wrestled with that a little bit. I was like, well, I like that. I like that structure, and that sounds good. But, and, and, but I feel like there's a different level that's being lost here. I, I, I feel like there's a different lens that if you viewed any of those things through the wrong lens, that you could be veered way off course. And, and, and I described it like this, that all of these four views, Scripture, experience, tradition, and, and reason, they all have to be viewed through the lens of who Jesus Christ is. He is the answer to the me-centered theologies. Amen? Jesus is the answer when I wonder why bad things happen to good people. I have to look through his lens. When I'm looking for hope in the middle of pain, middle of divorce, the middle of sickness, the middle of disappointment, the middle of addiction, marital conflict, Jesus is the answer. He must be our lens. Jesus is the answer when my brother or sister is nearing death's door, and Jesus is still the answer for a world that is going off the tracks. So why do I keep looking for an exit? Why do I keep looking for an escape? Why am I looking for escape when Jesus is the answer? Johnny Cash said, Every road I traveled down looking for truth always led to Jesus. Church, we are one group today that should not be in despair. We, of all people, should not feel confused. We, of all people, should not be running for the exit. We should not feel defeated because the answer is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is still the answer. So take the lead, church. Take the lead on this. God desires a church that is annoyingly positive. When life gives us lemons, we're going to make lemonade. And when the world seems defeated by our virus... A foundation, our foundation, excuse me, makes us spiritually contagious. I want to be contagious for Jesus. I want people to know that in the midst of despair, in the midst of hopelessness, that I have a firm foundation, and it's found in this, that Jesus is our rock. An elderly lady locked her cars and, or excuse me, locked her keys in her car and she tried everything she could to get them out, and, and, and nothing was working, so she prayed to the Lord. She said, Lord, I don't know what to do. How am I going to get these keys out? And I'm too, she was too embarrassed to call anybody. And she said, Lord, could you just help me? Help me get these 
doors unlocked in my car, and right then, a guy on a motorcycle who was dressed in leather, long hair, muscles bulging out everywhere, um, he, he came up, and he looked as tough as nails, but he came up to her, and he said, hey, I see you're trying to get into your car. Can I help you? She told him what happened, and he pulled out this homemade tool that he had, and and he slips it between the glass and the door, and in a matter of just like seconds, he opens the door. Done. <laughs> she thanked him, and she looked him in the eyes, and she said, I prayed that God would help me, and he sent me you. You were my answer to my prayers. And she, he said, ma'am, you do not understand. I'm no answer to prayer. I just got out of jail for Grand Theft Auto. And she smiled so big. And she gave him a hug. And she said, oh, Lord, you are so good. You even sent me a professional. I mean, here's the thing is we need to have that type of contagious, positive faith that sees God is at work in everything. Amen? I love the story of Elijah, one man who stands with God alone when everyone else had abandoned the Lord or been killed because they had refused to bow down to the evils of that day. I mean, we can see our story in this story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And, uh, and I just put the reference up there because this is going to be too, you're going to be like, oh man, he's going to read all of that. Well, just hold on. We're going to get through it together. Maybe uh, if you haven't read scripture yet this week, you're going to get your fill right now. Uh, 1 Kings 18, verse 1. And we are reminded there of what it looks like to be a contagious Christian. Of what it looks like to say, you know what, I don't care. You know, everything else, just who cares? Let it go. I want to be the one who speaks up for God. And so it begins in, this story begins in 18, verse 1. And, and, and it's the story of Elijah there on top of a mountain by himself, with complete faith with God. But it began a little bit before then. You see in verse 1, it says that in the third year of the Lord, uh, the Lord came to uh, Elijah and he said, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain to the land. Now to give you a little bit of background there, you know, Elijah had actually prayed and there had not been any rain for three years. And so here he comes and he, he, but he says, I want you now to present yourself to Ahab, this wicked king. You can read about him in an earlier chapter, in chapter 16. But but this king, you need to present yourself to him. Now, Ahab not only was wicked, but he married a woman who was wicked. Her name was Jezebel. They were so angry at what was happening because of their own disobedience. They were actually just getting uh, a taste of what their own disobedience was giving them by there being a famine upon the land. But they were so angry that they took it out and on God. This is God's fault. And it's God's people's fault. And, and because of that, Obadiah, who was a devout believer in the Lord, who served the king, while Jezebel was killing, it says, off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Now, the first time I hear this, I think, okay, well, I kind of understand what Obadiah is doing here because, you see, there was a wicked individual who was in charge in the country at that time. There was trouble in the land. People, it seemed like almost everyone had turned their backs on God and had turned to different idols. And, and these prophets who were speaking up for the Lord were going to be killed, Jezebel said. So he hid them. Now, 
part of me at first understands that, but part of me thinks to myself, why in the world did he hide the prophets? Why would you? I mean, to me, that's like saying, you know what? You have a really bad issue. Your body is full of infection. Go get the antibiotics and let's go hide them in the closet. It's like, hey, well, you know what? We're at, we're at the war and, 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 and you know, let's, if people, someone is coming and attacked our land, go get all of the portions of our military who are, are the ones who are supposed to be on the front lines and let's go hide them away in the barracks. You hear what I'm saying? Why would you put the prophets, the warriors of God, why would you hide them away? I'm telling you, they were being led by something other than power. You hearing me? They were being led by something called fear. And you know what? These are the spiritual warriors. Don't put them in the caves. No wonder the country was going to ruin. The ones who were supposed to be on the front lines are hiding. Verse 7, Obadiah walks along and he meets Elijah. Obadiah recognized him and he bowed down the ground to him and he says, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? You see, Elijah was the one who was not hiding in a cave. He was the one who said, I'm going to take a stand. And he was taking a stand all alone through these times. Yes, he said, go tell your master Elijah is here. That's so telling. Who's your master? What is it that is running your life? What is it that is getting the bulk of your time and your energy and your money and your thought life? What is it that is your master? When Elijah said this to Obadiah, he was speaking into him and he was saying, listen, I know who you are concerned about. I know who you are afraid of, but I fear the Lord. You go get your master. I'm about to go talk to him. What have I done wrong? asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. Are you seeing where his heart was? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go find my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. And if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. I can almost imagine, it wasn't written here, but I'm thinking, Elijah was thinking to himself, so what? Do your job. You're supposed to be a man of God. Why are you living in fear over this individual when you should be living in fear of who God is and the great power that he has? Verse 15, skip down there, and Elijah says, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. These were not unintentional words. As the Lord God Almighty lives, who I serve, 
I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And I want to tell you that if you are living for the Lord Jesus Christ today, you're going to be a troublemaker. Amen? Oh, you're thinking, oh, come on. You're just going way overboard. No, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be a troublemaker in people's lives. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that you're going to be arrogant or you're going to be rude. You're going to be full of love. You're going to be full of grace. You're going to want to help them, bring them closer to Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Light reveals darkness. Here's the thing. People of God should be revealing dysfunction. Amen? That's why we need people who love God in Washington, D.C. If there's a place of dysfunction, that's it, amen? But let me tell you, it's not much better at the grassroots level. That's where we need to start. Well, before I go too far there, (laughs) Elijah says the truth. I have not made trouble for Israel but you and your family have. (laughs) You who have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals, the idols. I'm telling you, godly people reveal the dysfunction of the world, and nobody wants to have the finger pointing at them. But I'm telling you, that's what we do as people of light and people of salt and people of grace. We're like, you know what? Listen, there's something that is weighing you down. Can we break the chains of that together with God's help? Well, Elijah, he's about to see some chains broken. So he says, now summon the people from all over Israel. These are, these are God's people. Some of them from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 450, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent the word throughout all the nations, and they went and they assembled at Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver before these, between these two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people said nothing. The people just looked stone cold at him. Just, just no expression, nothing at all. And it says in verse 22, Then Elijah then said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Now, that's, you can say, well, that's not actually true because there's a hundred that are still in a cave, but they're in a cave. And let me tell you, it's hard to be very prophetic when you're just assembled together with a bunch of other prophets who already know the truth. What's prophetic about that, amen? So he is the one and only prophet that's taking a stance. But Baal has, he says, 450 prophets. Sometimes, church, and men and women, you need to listen to me because you and I are in days where we have to begin to take leadership wherever we find ourselves. I don't care what your job title is or anything like that. We need to be people who are leaders wherever we find ourselves. And sometimes... Leadership means standing alone and speaking the difficult truth. So Elijah says, go get two bulls for us. 
Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, and I will put it on wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. I'm just hearing inside of Elijah this this anticipation, this expectancy, he knows and he is confident that his God is the one true living God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose what you want. And they called on the name of the Lord. It says in verse 26, the name of, excuse me, the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal answered us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. In the CEV, the uh, contemporary English version, it says maybe he's in the bathroom. Do you see the confidence? I mean, Elijah's bordering on cocky here, right? (laughs) But he can. He can be that way because he knows right here in his heart more than anything else, the God I serve is the one true God. Do you know that today? Can you be a little bit, and I'm not talking about being arrogant. I mean, can you just just put your chest out a little bit and just just be like, you know, just a little bit... Mm. Man, I serve the one true God. Nothing is beyond the one who I serve. I'm not afraid of anything because I serve the one who has it all in his control. See, we don't take arrogance in ourselves. We take pride in the fact that God is God. Elijah has them put their things together Midday passed, they continued their frantic prophesying, it says in verse 29, until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, why don't you come over here to me? And they came to him, and you can just imagine this messy mass of people, 450 prophets who had been cutting themselves, who had been you know, running themselves into a frenzy the whole day. Their hair is probably a mess. They're sweaty. They're, they're dirty. They, they're bleeding. And they come over to the altar of the Lord. It's a beautiful picture. Because evangelism is messy. So they came... And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come. And he said, your name shall be Israel. He's looking at them. He's looking at the prophets of Baal. He's looking at all the others. He was prophesying to them, this is who you are. You've forgotten who you are. You're the people of God. Your name shall be Israel. Don't forget who you are. And he rebuilt this altar. And with the stones, he dug a trench. He rebuilt that altar, and then he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two says of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he then said to them, take four large jars of water, pull it 
pour it, excuse me, on the offering, pour it on the wood. And then after they did that, he said in verse 34, do it again, and they did it again. And then after that, he said, do it a third time. And he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down, ran down around the altar, and it even filled the trench. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward, and he prayed these words, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things as you have commanded. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know, Lord, that you are God and that they will be turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. It burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stones. It burned up the soil. And it also licked up, it says, all the water in the trench. And I want to tell you something. We need that fire to fall again today. According to Elijah, the fire will come to you and to me and to this nation and around the world when we know our message is from God. Do you know that you are a walking message from God? I'm not saying that you aren't going to make mistakes or you aren't going to screw up. Then say, forgive me. I'm not God, but I serve him. When we know our message is from God, the fire is going to fall. When we stand for what is right, regardless of the cost, the fire will fall. When we take our message to the people, God's fire will fall. When we bring others to a point of decision, the fire will fall. When we face circumstances that only God's fire will light, and guess what? The fire is going to begin to fall. When, when we publicly trust God to do only what he can do and no one else in the world could do, then the fire will fall. When we hunger for God to receive the glory, the fire will fall. When we desire to see others return to the Lord, the fire will fall. I want to see the fire fall. Are we willing to take a step? I was talking with the guys back here in the room this morning, and is it Cody, is it Cody or Corey? Cody, I got that right. Okay, Cody was telling me over here. He said, we had this amazing thing happen at Golden Bell, and he said there was this young man that came in, 15 years old, and he came in with a kind of a chip on his shoulder, and he said to all of us, as he walks into this room where they were all at, and they were sharing the Lord, he says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in what you're saying. I don't believe in anything about what is going on here. What he came to find out later on was this, this young man had gone to several camps, had not make it, made it through the whole week, it made it maybe one or two days, correct? And then he was gone. In the midst of all of that, he found himself in the midst of these young men and young women who loved the Lord and were sharing Jesus with him. And to stand up for just real quick and just share with us what happened in that young man's life and just say it real loud.
Thank you. There's an old song. This dates me a little bit. This says, it only takes a spark to get a fire. Yeah, you know it. And here's the deal, is that's a spark. Craig's brother is a spark. And we want to see the fire fall. I'm telling you what, we need to begin to speak in boldness. I don't care what the issue is. I don't care who the the protest is about. We love black folks. Because they're God's creation. We love white folks. We love folks from all over the world. We shouldn't... If anyone should be taking the lead on what's happening in our world today, it should be the church. Because I'm telling you, when you're confused and you're angry and you don't know what's happening, you just want to say, just like that young man, I don't even believe there's a God. And you don't know the direction you're going. You see injustice, but you don't know how to get through to the end of it. But the church does. We need to be taking the lead. If the church were leading the charge, what would it look like? It's a challenge. Maybe not for you, but it's a challenge for me. Thank you, Lord. So Elijah said to Ahab, after God showed up, Elijah said to Ahab in verse 41, Hey, why don't you go ahead and eat and drink? For there's a sound of a heavy rain. Now the fire had fallen, but here the rain was about to fall. It hadn't fallen for three years. And as a matter of fact, as you continue to read on here, they looked out towards the ocean, and you know how vast the, the sky is over the ocean. They're looking over the ocean, and there wasn't anything. He said to his servant, look out there. There's going to be rain coming. No, there's no rain coming. There's nothing happening. There's no... And then finally he goes back out again, and he says, I see a cloud that's about the size of my fist. Way out there in the ocean. And so Elijah calls on Ahab and and he puts his cloak, it says, kind of up around his waist and he begins to run and he says, we better get back because the rain is going to be falling. And here is this beautiful picture of Ahab running in the might of the Lord. Ahab, excuse me, Elijah, Ahab behind him, and then here comes the rain from the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something. When the fire falls, the rain of God not far behind. The sky grew black, it says in verse 45, with clouds, the wind rose, the heavy rain started. Ahab rode off to Jezreel, and the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And here's the thing that I hear in the midst of that, is when God's fire falls, when the power of God falls on his people, we can do things we never dreamed we would be able to do before, not for ourselves, but in his name. And there might have been doubt in, 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 there might have been doubt in that group's heart where they, this kid comes in and says, I'm an atheist. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to change me. There might have been doubt, but guess what? A power came upon them when he stood up and said, hey, would someone want to have something different happen in your heart? When Craig went into that room where his brother was laying and he seemed lifeless and just not, not well at all, and he said, is there something different you would like to have in your heart? through God? There's a power that came into that room. And I'm going to tell you that power is available to each one of us. We've got 
to tap into it, church. You see, fire, it attracts crowds. Everyone wants to be warmed by the fire, right? It's one of the things that I love camping, and we always try to put a fire out there if there's not a burn ban or anything else, but we have a fire, and even so much so that I bought this little propane fire deal. It's a fake fire, but, but it still feels warm. I love to be warmed by the fire, but here's the thing, that no one really wants to be consumed, but church, we are only contagious when we have been placed everything that we are on the altar and have been consumed by God. Then the fire is no longer something that just warms us. The fire is in us, and it begins to warm others. Church, we were called to be contagious. We serve the God who is an all-consuming fire, it says in Scripture. We serve the God of the mountaintop. In Him, we are the light of the world. In Him, we are the city on the hill. In Him, we are the salt of the earth, not hidden in a cave, not, not waiting for someone to bring us nourishment. We are not under to be under a bushel basket. We are the light. It's why we come here. It's why we come here. We come to church to bring God glory and to become contagious tomorrow. Amen? In the middle of a pandemic, many are being forced to answer the question, why do I come here? And if you look, and I'm not going to go way into it, I don't have a, oh yeah, I do have a, here's a, I'm, I'm doing decent on time, but I don't want to take us too long. But anyway, in, in 1 Kings 19, if you read there, you're going to find that Elijah just, after all of that amazing things that happened, Elijah just, he like had this spiritual burnout. He was on the mountaintop, and next thing you know, he finds himself next to a cave. He even asked God, God, because Jezebel threatened, I'm going to take your life, and he took off running. Now here's the same guy who stood alone in front of 450 prophets of Baal, and then the next chapter, he's next to a, running away, he's next to a cave, and he said, God, just take my life. And he, when the Lord appears to him, he says these words to him in verse 9 of chapter 19. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And so Elijah says, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. You put your prophets to death. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And you're just going, That wasn't the answer to the question. I don't want to hear about how you've been a victim, Elijah. What are you doing here? The one who just preached about how powerful I am. The one true God who fills and is on you. What are you doing here? And he gives him that song of, "Eh, poor me. The Lord said, why don't you go out on the mountain again in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And, And here's what's happened in verse 11. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and they shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard this whisper, he pulled his cloak up over his face, And he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And I can almost just imagine just 
the face of God coming right before him and looking him in the eye and saying, one more time, what are you doing here, Elijah? What did Elijah do? It's a repeat of verse 10 in verse 14. I've been very jealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. Your altars and your prophets have been put to death by the, the, the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him these words in verse 15, Go back the way you came. It was a godly way of saying, Get back to work, Elijah. What are you doing here at the mouth of the cave? Have you forgotten who you are? More importantly, God was reminding him in the earthquake and in the wind and in the fire of who he is. We need that sometimes. Have we forgotten who we are, church? We possess power beyond our imagination. The power of God himself. We were called to be contagious. It's why we come here, to bring God the glory and become contagious. And in the middle of a pandemic, many are forced to answer the question, why do I even come to church? I have a friend who is a, a pastor at a very large Nazarene church. They have thousands that come there, and over the past couple few weeks, they've gone from thousands to 90 in their first service. 149 in their second service, and they're wondering, what is going on here? And people are having to take just a very big self-evaluation and a gut-check level, and why do I even come here to church? Have you been there? We have to answer the question, why do we as a church exist? I fear maybe that we've gotten so used to being near the living water that we've forgotten why we came near it to begin with. Let me explain, and I'm going to close with this. If you go to the next slide, John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up from the Jerusalem to one of the Jewish festivals, and now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored or covered colonnades. Here are, excuse me, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an, an invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there for a long time and had seen that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him this question, do you want to be well? And you have to wonder to yourself, here's a guy who's been laying here for 38 years, an invalid, trying to get into the pool, trying to be healed. What a crazy question is that to ask this man? Do you want to be healed? Well, duh, I've been here for 38 years. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat. Walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Stay on that slide. Here's the thing. This guy, I wonder, because you know, Jesus doesn't ask stupid questions, right? We know that. So when he asked him, do you really want to be well? 
there was something to that. And so I have to wonder to myself when I, when I read that, that maybe this guy had just gotten so used to being there. I mean, he got into a routine, you know, the pool, you know, it starts bubbling up and, you know, the people go ahead of me. It just, it, it, he got used to just being there by the pool. And after 38 years, he forgot that he wanted to be healed. He forgot the reason why he went there to begin with. But then came Jesus, and he changes everything. He healed. Get up, take your mat, and walk. And it says there, and later on in that verse, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. And here's the thing, is this individual who just met Jesus became a troublemaker. Because once you meet Jesus, you're contagious. I mean, when you really meet Jesus, when he really fills your heart, you're contagious. The church is not something you are called to go to. Hear me saying, and the church is not something you're called to go to. It's what you are healed to be. In a day when an enemy seems to have trapped the world in fear, we need to realize that the thing he fears the most, the enemy fears the most, is contagious Christianity. Satan fears a man, Satan fears a woman who can look pain or death or confusion or whatever else in the eye and remain steady and fearless come what may. Satan fears those who can still sing, it is well with my soul, even though the world is upside down. It, it, Satan fears a contagious Christian. Because when contagious Christians start rubbing elbows with a broken world, even the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. I'm going to ask you today, are you contagious as you watch this with me? This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. 
The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. This is why it's so important for us to be contagious with our Christian life because you never know who you're going to touch down the road. Who would ever thought that a young man from Brazil and Igor is going to be here with us, leading us in worship, but someone touched your life and thank you for touching our life. Who knows what God has in store? But here's what I do know. We need to be willing to drop everything for Jesus. Are we going to be leaders in the midst of our world, or are we going to hide in a cave? Are we going to be the ones who say, you know what, I serve the one true God. I will stand up, even if I have to stand alone, I will drop it all for Jesus. That's what God's calling us to in these days, church. And as your pastor, I want you to know, I'll drop everything for Jesus. I'll drop it all for him. And God has brought us through many different roads, just like he's brought you through, as the, word, the, the song says, many dangers, toils, and snares. But here's the thing, it's worth it all for Jesus. Amen? Let's give Jesus a hand today. He showed up real good, hasn't he? I want to ask you to stand, and as you stand, I'm going to, and, and I want you to know this always, the altar is always open, and maybe today you just sense there might be an area in your life where you have not been allowing God to take the lead. Maybe you haven't been the leader in your home that you should be. Maybe you have not been the leader in your job or in your workplace or at your school that you find yourself that you should be, and you're going to say today, and you're sensing God saying to you, you know what? It's time. You're at a crossroads. Who are you going to choose? This could be your mountaintop experience, church. This could be your day when the fire falls. Do you hear me? So, would you, would you come to the altar? Would you lay it all down for Jesus? Are you feeling him speaking to your heart?
I want to encourage you to come. And uh, man, I, if you guys could come up, the, the Golden Bell worship team, I don't know, God's probably laying something on your heart. I want, if you can just play, even if it's just instrumental or whatever God lays on your heart, I'm good with that. But as they play and sing, and as you allow the Lord to search the innermost parts of your being, I'm going to ask today, would you be willing to come and lay it all down for Jesus? Let's just close our eyes. I'm going to start us with the word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, God, that you can use people like us to do things that we never expected. We thank you, God, that you, you don't have to, but you prove yourself over and over to us. We thank you, God, that you never give up on us that you always are pursuing us. We thank you, God, that as we, as we grow in you, as we go through this process of sanctification, as we call it this process of holiness, that, God, you are ever and forever changing us to be more like you, Jesus. Thank you. And today, we want to be the leaders. May this church called Woodland Life Center truly be the center of leadership for you, Jesus, in this community. May we truly be a people, God, who are willing to lay it all down for you, Jesus. Lord, we've seen a couple, and we've heard the testimony today of two people that we know of this week who have given their heart to you, Lord. But we have a holy discontent. Bring us more, God, but prepare us to be the leaders who can help lead others in this way called the Jesus way. We pray these things in your name.
going into your mission field tomorrow and sharing Jesus with your world. We can change the world in Jesus. If that's not the case, then I'm just wasting my time. But I know I'm not. We're in this together. I'm not talking about a pandemic. I'm talking about the kingdom work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know, church, you are loved and highly favored. God is with you this day. So as we come to a close today, and, and we'll be respectful for those who are here up front and praying, I would just ask that you, right now, would prepare yourself and expect something amazing to happen this week in Jesus' name. Lord, today we thank you for this time together. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. And we pray these things, God, for your sake, for your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you are dismissed in the grace and love of our Lord. May his face shine upon you and may his grace continually move you forward in the kingdom. You are dismissed. God bless you.
Yeah.